At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What up? Your boy Dean Thomas here, and thank you for stopping by and having a listen. This is my new show, as if I needed a new fucking show. Three shows down. This is the fourth episode. This show is called Dean's Got Answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'll break down the questions you have about the UFC and provide my answers. It might not be what you're looking for, but that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me, Dean Thomas, UFC vet. Coach to the biggest names in the sport. Co-star of Dana White looking for a fight. Host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster, comedian, blah, blah, blah. Let me stop bragging. I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'll tackle three questions about the UFC. I'll give you my take, my opinion, and answer on each. I hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. By the way, if you have a question for me, DM me at Dean Thomas, Dean spelled D-I-N. Oh, and you know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I'm going to slide up into the Rolodex and holler at a homie for a second opinion. I'm going to bring on the biggest names in the sport to see if they agree or disagree with me. Today, I'm going to holler at one of the top welterweights in the world, Gilbert Dorino Burns. On this episode, I'll break down and answer the following questions. First, what the fuck is up and I'm going to talk about some crazy moments in the sport. What the fuck is up with all the madness at UFC 282? 18-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. delivers. He wasn't even swimming in his father's nutsack when I was fighting in the UFC. Second, which champions will lose their belt in 2023? A couple of y'all champs might want to hold off on buying that second car. And third, who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world? I got one of them coming on to help me answer that. And I got something special for y'all, too. I'm going to answer fan questions that you guys submitted to me on Instagram because y'all can't stump me. So turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. Let's go. The UFC has had so many incredible pay-per-views, but one of the best starts to a card in history just happened. So I must break it down and answer what the fuck was up with all the madness at UFC 282? The first 10 fights to start UFC 282 were all finishes. But one involved the youngest fighter in UFC history at 18 years old, Raul Rosas Jr., as he made his UFC debut against Jay Perrin. Now, I like Jay Perrin. He is a theater nerd like myself. He's a New England native, so you know he's tough as nails. But he wasn't tough enough for the assault of Raul Rosas Jr., Raul, with his youthful ignorance and arrogance, ran across the octagon and jumped on Jay Perrin's back and choked him out in just two minutes and 44 seconds of the first round like it was another day at the office. And then apparently Raul was spotted at the 10th Planet Las Vegas open mats rolling around the very next day. So what does the future look like for this young man? It looks bright. 
but he's so young and there are so many factors involved in that. How will he deal with a loss? In fact, how will he deal with success? He's already started off on the wrong foot. He said he wanted to buy his mom a minivan so she can drive him to the PI so he can train. Boy, if you don't take your ass and buy your own car, you're 18, not eight. Who knows what the future holds for him? But as of today, he's shown to be able to handle his opponent, the crowd, and a $50,000 bonus. After that history-making finish, we had another fight between two rising fighters in featherweights, Ilya Taporia and Bryce Mitchell. Taporia has shown why he's one of the brightest prospects in the UFC, and his performance justified why he runs with an entourage of about 50 dudes. This was one of the most anticipated fights of the card in a division that is thirsty for another challenger. This fight gave you the feeling that the winner would eventually be in the mix of the great featherweights. And if Toporia didn't prove that with a masterful shutout performance, I don't know what does. He battered Mitchell from beginning to end. He showed balance, poise, physicality, a great game plan, and the potential to be a household name. And literally, after tossing Bryce around for a round and a half, Toporia submitted one of the best submission fighters in the division. At 3 minutes and 10 seconds of the second round, Taporia landed an anaconda choke that would have popped the basketball. It'll be curious to see how Bryce bounces back after this loss. I think this does nothing to his stock. In fact, fighters need to lose sometimes to put things into perspective. This could be a catalyst that puts Bryce on a championship path. We all know how talented he is. Sometimes we just need a wake-up call. This fight was more about how good Ilya is than anything else. In a division where if the champ feels like he needs to jump up to lightweight for a challenge, Ilya Taporia is badly needed. I would love to see him compete against guys like Brian Ortega or Giga Chikadze. Let's make these fights happen sooner rather than later and put the featherweights on the map. Later in the card, we saw one of Ilya Taporia's rivals, Patty Pimlet, take on Jared Gordon in the co-main event, which resulted in a controversial decision. Controversial? That shit was flat out horrible. Now, I knew going into this fight, if Jared could deal with the hype behind the fight, he could win. He had to slow it down, fight very disciplined, and make it boring. And that's kind of what he did. He showed great composure, solid defense, and his left hook was on point all night. I felt he completely shut Patty out 30-27. I went backstage to use the restroom because I drink a lot of coffee throughout the night as the decision was being read and your winner by unanimous decision. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I couldn't believe it. See, what people don't realize is that Jared was robbed of his moment. Any fighter can tell you there's no better feeling in the world than to be standing in the middle of the octagon in front of thousands of people with all the lights on you and hearing your name being called as the winner. Winning a fist fight that you trained your ass off for months for. A fist fight that consumed your thoughts in every waking moment. A fist fight that you had to cut weight for, make sacrifices for. Other people in your life suffered for it. And you go out there and fight the best fight you could have fought and should be rewarded the victory. It is absolutely criminal to rob Jared Gordon of the moment that he did all that for. They robbed him of his moment and now he has to sit with that robbery for the rest of his life and it is a travesty. 
A few months ago, I was in Buffalo and I spoke at the ABC Boxing Commission Conference about restructuring our judging system and implementing open scoring. First, I want to thank them for listening, being open-minded, and allowing me to speak. However, I do not think that winners and losers is a major issue for them. Well, not enough to change the entire process of judging fights, because at the end of the day, what difference does it make truly for anybody other than Jared Gordon and the victim of a bad decision to have to go home with that loss? Because we can just go on with our lives, and the recipient of a bad decision will just have to take one for the team. The Pimlet-Gordon fight wasn't the only controversial fight from UFC 282. The main event between Jan Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev proved to be just as shocking. A fight for the light heavyweight championship of the world. And it ended in a draw! Now this wasn't the first time we saw a UFC title fight for a vacant title end in a draw. February 28th, 2003, Kyle Uno and BJ Penn fought for a draw for the lightweight title. And what did the UFC do? They got rid of the entire division for three years. What did the UFC do for this disaster? They set up a title fight in two months with Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. Clap, 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 clap. As for Ankalaev and Blahovich, they will just have to wait until some things shake out. Now, some people thought the fight was boring. I actually thought it was pretty good. It turned out to be better than it looked like it was going to be on paper. To watch Ankalaev battle back after getting his legs brutalized was impressive. He had both of his legs completely smashed to the point where it looked like he could barely walk. He shook it off and was still able to take Blahovich down and win rounds. Now, even though I felt Ankalaev won, I'm sorry, I can't go to bat for him the same way I'm going for Jared Gordon. For Ankalaev, all I can say is, sorry, player. So as you saw, UFC 282 had a lot of surprising results. So what crazy-ass storyline will happen in the UFC world next? We'll just have to wait and see, because they are coming. This was a wild year of fights. In 2022, we saw seven new champions win the belt. So that brings me to the question, which champions will lose their belts in 2023? To be a UFC champion is a very difficult thing to do. At some point, any person that has ever fought an MMA fight has thought about being a UFC champion. Most will never even come close. Very few might get a shot, and a very few of that very few can actually do it. It takes skill, hard work, sacrifice, timing, and even a little bit of luck. And when you do touch it, it's very difficult to hang on to it because like I said, everybody wants what you have. So for that reason, these champs need to watch their backs. First, Davison Figueredo. He'll be taking on Brandon Moreto for the fourth time at UFC 283 in Brazil. The first time they fought to a draw. The second time they fought, Davison was choked out. And the last time they fought, Davison won a close decision that could have easily went to Brandon. But the total time spent inside the cage, Brandon just looks like the better fighter. And Brandon seems to be getting better. And Davison, it has to be difficult for him to make 125 pounds. He's had trouble in the past, and as you age, it only gets worse. But regardless, I don't see him beating Brandon Moreno in January. Next, Valentina Shevchenko. 
For the longest time, Valentina seemed leap years ahead of her competition. And I can argue that at one point, she had the largest margin of talent over her competition than any other champion. She's had more experience, more skill, and noticeably many more physical gifts than her opponents. But last June, Talia Santos showed that if you can match her physicality, Valentina's human. And I watched that fight with Anthony Smith and we both thought Talia Santos won. Now, even if Talia doesn't beat her in a rematch, there's two other women in the division that I believe can match her in either skill and or physicality. That's Manon Fior and Alexa Grasso. Between those two and Talia Santos, I do not see a world where Valentina shuts all three of them out. Lastly, I can only imagine that this one is the most obvious, and that is Alex Pereira. Now, don't get me wrong. Alex is the most terrifying human being on planet Earth, and he is stylistically a nightmare for a lot of fighters, especially the former middleweight champ Israel Adesanya. But if you saw that fight, Izzy had him in all kind of trouble on the ground. While getting Alex on the ground may be not that easy of a task if he's preparing for a traditional grappler, if he does get there, he's in trouble. He showed a lot of technical deficiencies that he will not be able to make up for in a year, especially fighting against the best in the world. Even if he does get past Izzy in a rematch, the worst possible matchup for him would be Robert Whitaker, who I'm sure will be knocking on the door like knock, knock, knock. You want to come out and play? What's up? So let me make this very clear. I'm not wishing this on them, but to answer the question of which champions will lose their belt in 2023, Davison Figueredo, Valentina Shevchenko, and Alex Pajeda. And that's my answer. Historically, the welterweight division has been the most stacked and dangerous division in the UFC. It included champions like Matt Hughes, George St. Pierre, Tyron Woodley, and Kamaru Usman. Leon Edwards is the current welterweight champion, but there are so many dangerous welterweight contenders. So who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world? Matchups at welterweight have been great because for the most part, it was made up of heavy-handed boxer slash wrestler types. Then you'd mix in the specialties of Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's karate. Now, today we still have the heavy-handed boxer slash wrestler types like Bilal Muhammad, but there's something different about these welterweights today. They seem edgier, craftier, and much more dangerous. We need to discuss who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world. To further answer this question, who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world, I gotta pull out my Rolodex. I gotta holler at a homie. Please help me welcome top five UFC welterweight in the world, Gilbert Dorino Burns. So Gilbert, my man, thanks for coming on today. First off, I always got to know, man, how are you, man? What you what you got going on? Doing good, bro. Getting ready for that fight in Rio. Training hard. A little beat up from the whole week, but yeah, feeling good. Yeah, we're going to get into that fight a little bit later. But I brought you on today because I'm talking about the welterweights. You know, I've always thought that it was traditionally the best division in the UFC, and the guys are just so dangerous. So before we even get into the meat and bones and the potatoes of the welterweight division, what do you think makes a fighter dangerous? I think the, the most thing that makes fight fighter dangerous to have not only one weapon, you know, like 
Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Damian Maia, but that was the guy that had only one weapon, only the jiu-jitsu, you know, only the grappling. And I think a guy, when he possessed two different weapons, when, like, he's very good, but he's able to keep the fight on, on the feet, like Aldo, for, for a long time. That was a dangerous striker, but with a very good take down defense. I think that that's two big points, you know. I think only one thing doesn't make too much, but if you have two things, like if you're a little bit well-rounded and can develop your, your, your skills to be like two very strong points, I think that makes the guys very dangerous. Now, you talk about having no skill sets. Now, you trained with Kamar Usman. You fought Kamar Usman. What yeah. makes him dangerous as a fighter? That's it. That, that his ability, you know, I think he get power on his hands. Uh, he has good wrestling. He, he has very, very, let's say, very good striking. No, not a high-level striker, but he can strike and knock people out. And I think the, the ability to mix it up, you know, to strike with the, with the wrestling, with the control, physically very strong. And I think that that's a great cardio. I think that's what makes him very, very dangerous. Now, you're, prop, you're the only guy who had the task of fighting him and Hamzat yeah. Chemaev. And you fought Chemaev at a time when nobody wanted to fight him. Everybody was kind of like, you know, tiptoeing around the name Hamzat Chemaev. But you actively sought this guy out and you gave him a hell of a fight. Now, he's obviously in on everybody's radar as a dangerous guy. What do you think about him as a fighter? What do you think makes him dangerous? I think he's very dangerous and and that's the, the, the two things that I said that makes him super dangerous. He got heavy hands. The guy can can hit pretty hard. And he has the grappling, you know, and the wrestling, I think. Having those just two very strong points, the grappling and the heavy hands, I think that makes him very dangerous. Now, I remember when going into that fight and I knew that your grappling would neutralize his. And when he did take you down, when he when he did get on top of you, he felt something that he didn't like. Did you expect him to stand up and not want to play on the ground with you? Uh, to be honest, dude, I, I I thought we were going to grapple a lot more. I thought he's not going to get away. I have a lot of... I had a couple tricks to, to kind of got him with the submission, but I think he was super smart and then got out of the grappling. And whenever it was necessary, he was going to take down ain't freaking getting away so i think he did a good job i was expecting more more grappling on that fight now the current champion now is leon edwards he obviously kicked kamaru to sleep and i think it was one of those moments where like you remember where you were when that happened do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you saw that and did you expect it? yeah i was at the arena i was there super close front row watching and a crazy thing was I was about to leave because I had a red-eye flight from Salt Lake City back to Florida. And uh, the governor of CA, whenever the fight is over, you you, you, you got to run, you know, it's time for your flight. And I was saying, you know, yeah, you want me to go now? I said, no, wait, wait to finish. You see, yeah, it's almost done. <laughs> no, two minutes. Whenever it's done, you come. And then, and then that kick happened. And uh, yeah, I thought Kamaru was doing very good. But there's a lot of things going on in that fight. You know, I remember we was in South Lake City, the altitude, Kamaru trains in Denver. The altitude is, is a lot in Denver as well. So 
Then Leonardo came in, in, in that show up very good in the first round, but I think he fades a little bit. He felt the outstood in the other rounds. And I'm looking forward to that rematch. I think it's a very close fight, way closer than the first one. I, I think it's a 50 50, but if I got it, if I got a pick one, I think Leo Evans taking advantage on, on, on the rematch. You think so? Like, I, you're right about that because, like, there were so many uncharacteristic things that happened. Yeah. You know, like Leon taking Usman down and mounting him in the first round, like, that is uncharacteristic. And then the way the fight went, and the, like you said, the being in Salt Lake City played a factor. And now when they fight again, if the lev- if the playing field is level, you're right. I think it could be a lot closer than what people think. And I really don't know which way to go. Yeah, same. And especially if there's a lot of talks right now. We don't know if Camaro is going to fight or not. But if he goes to London to freaking Leo Evans' house, yeah, yeah, that's a dangerous place to fight that guy, I said. Yeah, I would, I would assume so too. Now, another name on everybody's, well, we haven't heard a lot about him recently, but that's Colby Covington. Uh, what is your perspective on him? I think he's very tough, very durable, crazy pace, very good wrestling. He's a matchup that I really love to do. And uh, he got to get a fight soon, right? I think less, less time he fought was in March. If you don't get a fight by March, I think they're going to kick him out of the ranks. So, yeah, that, that's one matchup that I really love to do. I think that's for sure one of the rematch with Hamza and Kamaru. But Kobe will be the, another fight that I really, really want to test myself with. That was a fight that I always thought would be interesting. I always wanted to see that fight between you and Kobe. Now, there's another fight that was kind of brewing and kind of seemed like it was going to happen, but it never happened. And maybe you can... Uh, Give me some insight as to that, and that was Jorge Masvidal. Yeah. Like, why didn't this fight happen? I don't know. To be honest, the UFC said they offered they offered me the fight three times, and they said the first time he needed a little bit more time, and then they said I was going to be December. Then when it was getting close to the December card, he wants to fight you in Rio, and then all of a sudden the fight was off the table, and he said the fight was never offered. So. To be honest, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he's not ready. I don't know if he cannot fight because the 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 court going on against Hina and Kobe. So I think it's gonna happen this fight. I, I just not think it's happening right now. But I still think I'm fighting most all of these guys that you just said. Yeah, I mean you are an absolute dog, and that, and that's the one thing I love about you is that you have that competitive spirit where you're not afraid to take on challenges, and there are a lot of challenges left for you guys in this division. There's Bilal Muhammad, there's Shavrak Rachmanov. What do you think about those guys? Uh, I wish I was fighting Bilal Muhammad in Brazil. You know, his fight, the fight was offered to him. He declined it. He bumped on, in front of me in the ranks. I don't know why. He never beat me. He beat, was that guy, Sean Brady. And how the heck that guy passed me in the rank? He never beat me. And uh, that's one fight that I'm, I, I really... I have a lot of respect for the guy, but it's the fight that I really want to do too. Bilal Mohammed and Shavka, he just got at the gym today. You know, he just he's doing his camp there for the third time, maybe fourth time. I don't know. He's a good guy too. Very tough, tall, very big, strong. He's he's another tough guy of the division. I love it. Now you have your own fight that you're worried about. Obviously, you spoke about it earlier, and that's against Neil Magny coming up in Brazil. Yeah. What do you think about the matchup? How are you going to get it done and keep yourself out there in the forefront of everybody? He's tough. He's durable. He's long. He's six foot three. He's experienced. You know, he's been there with a lot of tough guys. 
but it just I don't know I'm confident on my game I just think I'm I'm too much for most of these guys you know and I'm gonna I'm gonna be there I'm gonna stay on his face and I might if the opportunity presents itself, I might take him down and, and look for submission. But even though he's longer, bigger, rich, I'm not afraid to strike with him as well, too. So I'm looking for a finish, uh, Dean. I just think if, if me fighting all the way back on the ranks, I, I need to deliver an amazing finish. You know, I'm looking for a finish. I'm not going to be in a rush when I get there. That I've been training that, but... Uh, since the, the, the Hamza fight, I, I, I work in so many improvements. I think I improved so much my game that I think I'll, I'll, I'll be able to get a great finish against New Megan in January 21st in Brazil. I love it. Now, the main purpose to have you on the show today was to talk about the most dangerous welterweight in the world. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, so I'm going to say next to you, who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world in your opinion? That's a good question. You get a couple guys. I think Hamza and Kamara, the, me, me, Hamza and Kamara, the toughest one in the division by far. I love it. Well, Gilbert, man, I appreciate you today, man, and I appreciate your time and your honesty. Sure. And best of luck to you against Neil Magny down in Brazil. I hope to catch up with you soon. Have a good rest of your day, man, and you be cool. My guy. Thank you, bro. All Have right, a man. good one. Peace. So thanks to Gilbert Dorino Burns for coming on and giving his perspective as to who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world. But to answer the question, who's the most dangerous welterweight in the world? I'm going to say it's Gilbert Burns. He's got the ability to finish you on the feet and on the ground. He is a dangerous man. So we are now going to do something new on Dean's Got Answers. I asked you guys questions. You guys responded to my Instagram. I told you to ask me anything, UFC or not, but I'm going to answer these rapid style from at Courtney Rukov. Where do babies come from? They come from me and Nick Cannon. From at O underscore scrumpf. How come we don't hear about Kobe and Gilbert Burns? Kobe got another lawsuit out there? Damn. From at It's Shaq's 92. Who was a person from your era that is said to be a superstar but never quite reached the level? Phil Baroni. That guy's a legend. And I tell you this too, Josh Neer and Spencer Fisher would have been stars in today's MMA. From at Ditsy0114, when are you going to sit at the announcer's table? You and the gang would be hilarious. Well, I got to tell you, Ditsy, I sit next to them at the kitty table with a bowl of mac and cheese and a cut-up hot dog in it, and they tell me to shut my mouth. From at Kyle Vidoric, I keep smashing my nuts when I armbar and Kimura people. Look, man, I don't know what kind of freaky shit you into, but you might want to warn your partners before you roll. Those questions were great, but I told you, y'all can't stump me. But keep submitting those questions at Dean Thomas about anything, everything UFC or non-UFC related. I don't care. Submit any question you want. On this episode, I gave you guys the answers to one, the madness around UFC 282. Two, which champions I think are going to lose their belts in 2023? And three, who is the most dangerous welterweight in the world? But I gave you a bonus of four. I gave you guys an opportunity to stump me with your random fan questions. Keep them coming. 
So thanks for listening to Dean's Got Answers. We will be back in the near future with a new episode, but be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dean Thomas and leave a rating and review for the podcast. Tune in next time as I'll have answers for everything going on in the UFC. Those are my answers. If you have any questions, be sure to hit me up. Peace. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.